is Brandon House Live. Whether the issue is law, science, economics, history, family, social issues, education, religion, government, or national security, Brandon brings the issues of the day into clear focus through the lens of a Judeo-Christian worldview. And now, here is your host, Brandon House. All right, good evening. Glad you are with us. We got a lot to cover. We're going to have to run through it fast tonight. Hey, was your uh, cell phone out tonight or today? Was it out this morning? Well, I woke up. I had no cell phone coverage. Couldn't text. Couldn't get calls. Couldn't make calls. Uh, slowly, it all seemed to come back to life. And of course, uh, we were wondering what is going on. My wife woke me up with a cup of coffee and three dogs, as, as is the case every morning. Coffee, and then the three dogs come and jump in the bed and say hello. And she said, did you not pay the bill? I'm like, no, I paid the bill. The phone line, the cell phones are down. I'm like, well, I paid the bill. That's not what it is. So there must be something going on. Hand me that laptop, hon, and I'll look. And sure enough, looked it up quick. And there it was, the talk of a nationwide cell phone system down. So what what happened? Well, if you heard my 1 o'clock Central Time show, you will know that I did a whole hour with David Pine, the executive vice president of the EMP task force. And you would also know that uh, in August of 2021, we aired a whole 30-minute broadcast in August of 3031. Excuse me, 3031. In August of 2021, a whole 30-minute broadcast with Dr. Peter Vincent Pry from this desk. He warned about how you can actually have the grid go down and be fried from a solar storm. So that seems to be that we had some solar flares. Now, if you look on social media, people are telling you that if you believe that, you're somehow crazy. There's some big government conspiracy theory wrapped up in all this, and they're hiding it all behind solar flares. Well, I'm not buying that, folks. Be very careful. Does the government lie to us? Oh, yes, they do. And they lie about a lot. But the evidence seems right now, unless someone can prove otherwise, to indeed be solar flares. And why is this a big deal? Because there may be more activity coming in 2024. One has to wonder again if some of this isn't setting up the scenario, scenario for end time events. I think there's going to be a lot of things happening in the, uh, well, in the sky, in, uh, in the heavens, if you will. Uh, from the moon to uh, the sun, a lot of things. It's talked about in the Bible. This might start ramping up even more over the next coming years. But we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a minute. Joining me tonight is going to be Trevor Loudon. Did you hear that President Trump has a short list for VP? And <laughs> there's a lady on it. There's a lady on this short list. Uh, Telsey is on it. And we don't want Telsey to be vice president. We'll tell you why. Go Trevor and I have been warning about her for a long time, and we'll remind you tonight why she should not be on the short list. We'll also talk with Leo Holman. Poor Catherine Heritage apparently has not only been fired by CBS. Remember, she's, by the way, the also the one that warned about a possible black swan event in 2024. Uh, but apparently CBS has seized her files, including confidential files. The New York Post is reporting that tonight. Leo Holman was the uh, general editor in a newsroom for many, many years. So as an old veteran of the journalist uh, arena, he'll speak to this. CBS seizing confidential files. Hmm. Do you think the government might have most of big corporate media outlets just as agents of the government? Sure enough, I think the CIA is heavily involved 
<laughs> with our with our media. And then we're going to get an update from Aaron. Aaron's going to join us at the crack of dawn in Israel because, again, it's going on at uh, the International uh, Court of Justice. Uh, it's you know all about Israel again, folks. And there's more to report about Israel that you're going to want to hear from Aaron. And then Rebecca Walzer will check in. I think it's been about two weeks since Rebecca's been with us. She's going to check in with us and give us an economic update of where things are going, particularly as we run quickly toward that March 11th, 2024 date, which would be the last day of federal funding to the banks, that liquidity injection to the banks. Is that going to be shut off right now? It looks like it is, which would mean regional banks would be failing pretty quickly unless that money is turned back on. We'll get an update from her and more. Let's turn quickly before we go to Trevor to this whole issue of solar flares. Uh, here are some of this, the, the uh, I went looking today for the science, you know, let's look, there are, there's NASA and there's guys out there that use these telescopes and they watch the sun. Did you know there actually are YouTube channels where that's what these guys do? They watch the sun and pretty quick, they were all showing us footage of what seems to be uh, the actual solar flares getting let loose today. In fact, we'll go to that. Here's one of them right here. Watch and listen to this. So there you go. You can see those uh, solar flares <coughs> coming off of this. And if you look online, you search on YouTube, you're going to find a lot more videos like this. And you're going to find a lot of commentary from guys who seem to make a lot of their um, uh, channels all about just watching the sun and watching the solar flares. I had no idea that there were guys that did that, you know, so it's... Uh, Pretty interesting. So I think the evidence seems to point to that fact. I actually have a, I think I have a, a graphic here from NASA themselves. Here it is. NASA, sun releases two strong flares. The sun emitted two strong solar flares. The first one, there's that same picture, uh, peaking at 6.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time last night on February 21st, and the second one at 1.32 a.m. Eastern Standard on the 22nd. So again, uh, I, I'm... I would caution anybody listening to folks on social media telling you this is all a big, gigantic conspiracy to cover another story. I, I think this is actually solar storms. Again, something that Peter Vincent Pry was warning from this news desk that we aired in August of 2021. So you might look for more of that. Don't forget, back in 1989, there was a big segment of Canada that went into the dark due to solar flares. So it can happen, and many experts are warning uh, that it could actually cause an EMP effect uh, and put down the grid as well. So we not only have the threat of terrorism, the terrorist attacks and EMPs from North Korea or uh, Iran or Russia or China, but also we just have the natural nature event of the sun. So there you go. There's a full hour on that I did today with, uh, here it is, if you go to worldviewtube.com, worldviewtube.com, whole hour today on that with, David Pine, America's, America experiences a solar storm and cell phones go down across the country. Is this a warning of far worse to come? Because it, and indeed, indeed, cell phone going down is uh, not a big deal in the big scheme of things versus the whole grid. So check that out at worldviewtube.com if you are interested. 
Joining me now is Trevor Loudon. He's the author of numerous books. He also has a program with us. We've moved him from a 30-minute daily show due to his intense travel schedule. And we will be launching a, a week from this weekend uh, at uh, Worldview Tube again. And we're going to be picking it up on Patriot. Trevor Loudon, a one-hour weekly show. Trevor Loudon. Trevor, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Brandon. Great to have you back, as always, Trevor. Uh, you know, Trevor, there is a video that we all have been, you know, a lot of us watching and commenting on, and that was of um, President Trump talking to Laura Ingram about picking uh, his VP. And in this, he talks about potentially picking several people. Uh, one of them, of course, caught my ears right away because I'm not, in I'll play the clip, but I'm not interested in having Kelsey Gabber uh, as vice president of the United States, largely because it was you that informed me probably four or five years ago what her worldview really is all about. Tell me how dangerous it would be to have this woman as a, a VP, please. I think it would be extremely dangerous. She has a, a, a Marxist background, but in more recent times, she's basically been shilling for the Russians. Her, her raison d'etre seems to be selling Russian foreign policy to American conservatives. And she can talk very well about um, God-given rights and about the Constitution. But in 2017, I was at the People's Summit with 3,000 communists. I was filming my first documentary there. And she was speaking there. She was the keynote speaker, as she is in CPAC today, by the way. And uh, she was letting rip on her um, the work she'd just done in Syria for the Russian-backed dictator there. And they, they were loving it. They were lapping her up. She is, uh, she is a chameleon. She knows how to work audiences. And as I repeat, her, she, has been a, she has been involved with Marxists from Democratic Socialist America to the Bernie Sanders machine, and now even the MAGA communist movement right today. So if Trump wants to uh, get the Russia narrative really, really, really ramped up and have no answer for it, hire, hire Tulsi Gabbard. Mm, I'm going to go to some of these screenshots we have tonight. But first, here's the clip from uh, Laura Ingram the other night speaking with President Trump, and that's when her name came up. Audiences have uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice, and various names came up. Um, uh, one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's making making an appearance today in South Carolina. We just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. Um, are, and Christy Nome as well, I should say. Right. Are, are, are they all on your short list? And when can you? They the are. They're all on his short list. Now, Christy Nome, I don't think, has a chance. There's uh, too much about her that I won't get into because I'm not going to become, a, you know, a, a gossip uh, program. But there, you can go research her. Plus, I don't think she's very popular in her own state of South Dakota. So I don't think she's got a chance. Uh, I think most of these names, to be honest with you, are just names being thrown out. I don't, I, I'll be shocked if uh, one of these names makes it um, at all. But uh, we... Kelsey Gabbard, of course, is one that just cannot, I don't think, get on the table here. Uh, let me go to some screenshots. Let me throw these screenshots up, and then you tell me 
what you will. I, I'm not going to do them in a certain order, but you want to yeah. you want to respond? Well, try try and scroll that down a bit and see who wrote that. I'll tell you who. Oh, that is just a screenshot. That's all I got is a screenshot. Okay. Well, look, the man who wrote that was Rick Nagin. Oh yeah, that's up at the very top. Okay. Do you not yeah, see yeah, that? Just... Is it not showing? Is it not showing? No, no. Just scroll it down a little bit so we can see that. Okay. Let's see if we can do that. Uh, if up. you can. Let's see here. All right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, Rick Nagin. There we okay. go. Okay. Now, Rick Nagin is the head of the Ohio Communist Party, and he's a very, very close friend of Dennis Kucinich, the former um, congresswoman, congressman from Ohio, who was, uh, is deeply in bed with the Communist Party for many years and is now deeply in bed with the Russians. So Nick, this is Nick, Rick Nagin praising Tulsi. I have great confidence that she would be a great president her election would be an enormous defeat for right-wing extremism and its policies of racism, male supremacy, and war. So this is the head of the Ohio Communist Party, who these people have mutual friends, very close mutual friends, and um, he's praising her because she's always been on the left, and she's always been out there supporting America's enemies, and um, the, the head of the Ohio Communist Party appreciates this. She'll make a, um, she, she says, she will make a tremendous contribution to the primary debate. This is when she's running for president and help move the electorate in a progressive direction. Well, why, what, what do you think a progressive direction means <laughs> to the head of the Ohio Communist Party? Yeah, exactly right. All right, let me go to the next one. I'm not going to pull these up in any specific order because I have them all here. Uh, all right, here this one. This is Christine Hahn. Christine Hahn. Christine what? Hahn is the woman in glasses, second from left. There's other pictures of the two online. Christine Hahn is North Korea's main cheerleader in the United States. Her, her big project at the moment is getting the U.S. to formally end the North Korean war, which has never been formally ended, so that the North Koreans can then start trading with the West and get, get the strength to attack South Korea. So here's Tulsi Gabbard pushing the same line as, a, as North Korea's main friend in the United States. Hmm. That's not very reassuring now, is it? All right, let's go to the next one. A little, little show and tell here tonight. All right, let's go to the next one. Here we go, Tulsi 2020. Tulsi fights back against big tech's dangerous dominance. This is, who is Alexander Dugin? Alexander Dugin is Vladimir Putin's brain. He is, <laughs> the, he is the head of what they call a national Bolshevik movement. That's a combination of Nazism and communism that is driving the current Putin regime. And that is very, he is a very popular figure with many on the so-called alt-right in America. Tucker Carlson got very upset when Amazon pulled um, Dugan's books off Amazon a while back. Um, Dugan is a complete, absolute Western hater. He wants to destroy the United States. He openly says so. He wants to conquer Europe. He, and here, here he is praising Tulsi Gabbard because Tulsi Gabbard is pushing Russian foreign policy points. And she's been doing it since at least 2017. Wow, and I got some video here I'm gonna play as well that I think people might find a, 
a little troubling, and it has to do with uh, something she said about President Trump. But let's go to this picture. Who is this? Well, that's when Tulsi first got elected. That's women for Tulsi. They got her elected. That's Nancy Carraway. That is the first lady of a, a, a Hawaii, the wife of Neil Abercrombie, who was the governor at the time. Both members of Democratic Socialists of America, both Marxists. So you're telling me he, the Democrat Socialists of America individuals helped get her elected to... Uh, oh, look, they, they launched her career. They guided her career for several years up until a very, very recent past. She is deeply in bed. I have multiple photographs of her with DSA figures, Marxist figures. She served on the board of the Bernie Sanders Institute for several years. With, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, can you say that again, please? She served on the board of Bernie Sanders Institute, the Sanders Institute for several years. Who mentored her? She, who mentored her? Who mentored her? Well, Dennis Kucinich, as I said, the, the communist who is also very close to, you know, you, you know Dennis Kucinich is probably right, one one of Russia's favorite ex-congressmen in the country now. He's, he's, he has been shilling for Russia since 2010, and he's been working with the higher Communist Party since the 1970s, right up to 2018, when they supported him in his race for the governor of Ohio that year. All right, let me bring up another one. Uh, pull that down there. There we go. All right, let's pull up this next one. All right, what is this one here, Mr. Trevor Loudon? Okay, that is the man in the middle called Jackson Hinkle. The other man is Caleb Malpin. You notice the hammer and sickle? Yeah, to the right, that, yeah. Okay, that's the Center for Political Innovation. That is the MAGA communists. These are pro-Russia communists who support Putin. They openly support Putin and Alexander Dugin, who I just mentioned before. And uh, they've, they, they are trying to infiltrate the Trump movement. They're trying to say, we're anti-woke communists. We have a lot in common with the MAGA movement. So that's Jackson Hinkle, who, who used to go surfing with Tulsi Gabbard, who, who Gabbard is very, very close to. She's also very close to Caleb Malpin. These are pro-Russian, hardcore, open communists who push Russian foreign policy all the time at the expense of America. And Tulsi Gabbard is right on the same page with them and has personal relationships with both. Do you, do you think I could convince Tulsi to come on my broadcast here and let the two of you- Oh, that'd it? be very interesting. Give it a go. Uh, I, not if she sees this, I wouldn't think. Well, <laughs> I want to see if she would come on here and, and, and debate you. I could moderate. Well, I would love to, I'd love to do that, but I'd be very shocked if she, if she, uh, she would do it, but I'd love to do it. All right, let's show this. She, she's, she's very dangerous. Let's show this next one. The, the People's That's Summit. That's Tulsi at the People's Summit I mentioned before. That was 3,000 communists, 2017. She'd just come back from Syria with Dennis Kucinich, helping Bashar al-Assad and, uh, you know, pro promoting his propaganda, basically. 3,000 communists from the Communist Party USA, Democratic Socialist America, Workers' World Party. She got up and she wowed them. They loved her like a chocolate. You know, she can, now she gets up at CPAC and they love her like a chocolate because she changes her message to suit her audience. When I was when at CPAC a few... She talks like a communist. When she's with conservatives, 
She talks like the biggest conservative you've ever seen. I think when I was at CPAC in Orlando a few years ago, and I think you were there as well, and we had a booth there, a broadcast booth there. I think That's if right. I remember correctly, she was the keynote speaker for the Reagan dinner. The was Reagan she not? dinner. The Reagan who brought down the evil empire, and now Tulsi Gabbard is shilling for it, and they think she's the appropriate speaker. Isn't that interesting? All right, let me show you one more here I've got in my uh, archives. Here we go. Tell me about this, please. Well, that's Tulsi Gabbard at uh, promoting the Standing Rock Dakota Access Pipeline, you know, that when the Indians were... Uh, causing trouble when they're trying to put the pipeline through, the pipeline that Biden um, cancelled straight off. Those protests were led by Judith LeBlanc of the Communist Party USA, uh, who, who then went and put Deb Haaland in as Secretary of the Interior to shut down America's oil reserves. So she was working for a communist group that was trying to shut down America's energy. That's Tulsi Gabbard, and that's not very long ago. Do you think President Trump knows anything that you're saying tonight? Well, if he did, I very much doubt he would have her on the list. Well, you look at those conservatives, they have no idea. Tulsi's very slick. She's, she talks about God-given rights. She talks about the Constitution when she's with a conservative audience. When she's with her communist friends, she talks about their, she, she fires them up. So no, I don't think he does. And it's, it's, it would be an absolute disaster because can you imagine what the Democrats who hate her, you know, they don't like her, what they would do to Tulsi Gabbard and all her pro-Russian activities. And she's Trump's VP and Trump's been trying to fight this Russia collusion thing for five years. Can you imagine what they would do with Tulsi Gabbard on the ticket? Yeah, and, and in fact, li listen to what she, I think this is 2019, listen to this. So I enlisted after 9-11 to protect our country, to go after those who attacked us on that fateful day, who took the lives of thousands of Americans. The, the problem is that this current president is continuing to betray us. Okay, wait a minute. She's talking about President Trump when she said this. So let me back up and now that you know the context, okay, this is, She's talking about President Trump. Here we go. The problem is that this current president is continuing to betray us. We were supposed to be going after Al-Qaeda, but over years now, not only have we not gone after Al-Qaeda, who is stronger today than they were in 9-11, our president is supporting Al-Qaeda. So Trump was supporting Al-Qaeda. Hmm. Yeah, well, this is Russian propaganda. Now, does she know it's Russian propaganda or not? Whether she does or not, that is Russian propaganda. And she is up there parroting it, calling Trump a traitor. And now she's a suitable VP. How many times do you think the Democrats would play that clip? Probably not too many. So again, this is, I guess, the kind of thing you're not gonna see on what we've just done here on Fox News, right? Well, the other, just the other thing that you may not have seen them there, I sent some clips about the World Economic Forum and she denied that she, she said her name was just put on the World Economic Forum. Well, there's a tweet there boasting and being proud to be invited to the World Economic Forum back in 2015. Okay, I'm going to try so to find that come, one. Which one? Let's see. Uh... It's a little tweet. It's a little tweet there. And there's a couple, there's a couple on the World Economic Forum there. 
Okay, let's see. I'm, I want to. I want to show that. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Well, here she has the World Economic Forum page right there. Yeah. Well, there's also a little tweet. She was there. A little tweet. She's denied it publicly. But there's a tweet from her now deleted, which talks about how proud she was to be invited. Okay, pull that and one down. Let me see if I can find the next one. So, because yeah. I think I remember you sending that to me and me seeing that. And I want to show the audience that as much as we can. I'm trying to show uh, all the documentation that I can. Um, bet you that was the first one you sent here. Let's see, Trevor. I think it was, actually. Might have been the very first one you sent. But, uh, but you're telling me at one point she was denying even having spoken at the World Economic Forum? Yeah, well, it became an issue when she's starting to move into the Trump camp. You know, well, what's she going, doing going to these globalist things? I didn't do that. I never went there. They, they must have put my name on, you know, without my knowledge. And then but what, she was very proud of it at the time. But what you said you found was she was actually tweeting about it at one time. Yeah, she tweeted in 2015. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Look forward to it. <laughs> thanks for inviting me, but I, but I really didn't intend. I would. Oh wow. Well, oh, I believe she went. I'm not sure, but she is. Uh, she was certainly proud of it at the time. And for some reason, I'm not. Uh, I'm not one to give up, and I'm. I am trying to find this. This. Oh wait, what's this one? Tell me what this one here is. That's Jackson Hinkle. And that's Tulsi Gabbard. Jackson Hinkle is the MAGA communist. They go surfing together. They went surfing straight after that. So he is the MAGA communist on the left in the white T-shirt. Uh, Tulsi is the one on the, on the right on the uh, red T-shirt, the red shirt. Tell, tell, me so more about the, uh, tell me more about these folks trying to infiltrate MAGA. Well, what is that all about? Well, this is Haz al-Din. This is Jackson Hinkle. They have a movement that is very much aligned with Heidegger, who was a German Nazi. Oh, he Heidegger. Heidegger was uh, big on the idea of community and collective salvation, community exactly. and collective salvation, that if we just set aside individual rights for the collective, we can save ourselves. That was that was That's Martin. Right. He that was no. Martin Heidegger. I deal with him in my book, uh, Grave Influence, from back in uh, 2008. Yep. Well, exactly. Well, Heidegger is a big hero to the MAGA communist movement. MAGA communism is a combination of Nazism and communism. A lot of the big mass shooters are, are MAGA communists, like, uh, well, they, they were affiliated, they were national Bolsheviks, like the guy who shot up the mosque in New Zealand, the young guy who shot up a whole, uh, killed a whole bunch of uh, people in El Paso at a, at a Walmart, and also the guy shot up a supermarket up in Buffalo. They were all Marga, They were all in this camp, this sort of national Bolshevism, which is where MAGA communism comes from. It's a very, very extreme ideology driven by Alexander Dugan, but they they are anti woke. They talk we we and and Tucker and, and Tulsi. She's always gone about this woke ideology and how bad it is. Well. That's the, the right-wing communism attacking the left-wing communism, if you can believe that. So you've got all these Americans who hate wokeness, and you've got this MAGA communist who comes along and says, we make common ground with you. We love, you know, we, we believe in what you believe. We, we, we want a nationalistic, masculine kind of communism. We've got a lot in common. 
So that's Jackson Hinkle, that's Caleb Malpin, that's Hazal Din, who I debated um, uh, on Tim Paul's show not long ago, actually. That was, that was quite interesting. But Tulsi is associated with these people. She's associated with Caleb Malpin, and she goes surfing. She's been surfing with Jackson Hinkle, and they have a, they have a, a, a personal relationship there. So these are pro-Russian MAGA communists promoting the Putin line, uh, with hammer and sickles, you know, doing conferences with hammer and sickles, but these are okay by Tulsi. Wow. For some reason, I cannot find that uh, tweet, but so I'll take your word for it. But again, you're not going to see this on Fox News. You're not going to see this on corporate media. And um, again, uh, this is one reason why I'm not at CPAC uh, this go round. I just, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't find it to be a, a collection of a lot of uh, very strong constitutionalist. I, I didn't find CPAC really worth a lot of my time. Yeah, well, you know, I know I love going to CPAC. It's always a good networking thing. I'm not there this year, but it's not as conservative as it used to be. I think that's fair comment. Yeah, then that's, yeah. You know, of course, I was involved in CPAC back in the early 90s when it was Phyllis Schlafly and a small, you know, mm. Tom DeWeese and a small group of people running it. It's a far cry from from that. I'm not even sure they'd let a Phyllis Schlafly type speak at it anymore. What do you think? Well, they they've you know I know there are certain conservatives I know that have had a hard time getting a, a platform there that used to be regular speakers. And I'm not I'm not going to you know I don't know the decisions they make. All I know is um, you know we're living in a revolution right now. We're on the verge of major warfare. But when I go to CPAC, I don't get any sense of that. I don't, I don't get any sense of the urgency of the situation. There's a lot of, you know, cheering people up and, and you know, rah, rah, which is, which is good. But really, I think 60% of CPAC should be about the border and about World War III and how we stop it. Yeah, and how that's we stop how, it. That's what I think. Yeah, how we stop it. But I think a lot of neocons want it and you you and i both agree with that uh trevor well, the left wants it the, the the left certainly wants it and uh they're getting but but tulsi you know russian foreign policy is telling us we should disarm we should not oppose the russians in any way look look when when trump was trying to get rid of um you know uh, maduro in venezuela you know, she was saying, no, we shouldn't be intervening. She was defending. So no, 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 we shouldn't do that. Well, now the Venezuelans have Russian troops on their soil, Chinese and Hezbollah, and they're emptying their prisons and sending to us. That's I true. think it would have been a darn good thing if President Trump had taken out Maduro. But whose side was she on at that time? It's not hard to find out. Wow. TrevorLoudon.com. TrevorLoudon.com. You have a whole book that spells out a lot of this on her. Which book is it? Well, my book, White House Reds, has a whole um, whole chapter on Tulsi Gabbard. Not so much the real up-to-date stuff, but her early background, the Marxists who elected her, who she was dealing with, right up to a very, very recent times. It, so, yeah, White House Reds, which is available on TrevorLoudon.com or Amazon. Um, yeah, I, I, look, I've been following Tulsi for a long time, and there is no real conversion story with her. You know, you get people coming from the left who come to the right, and they'll tell you why. Because of 9-11, because of this, because of that. There's none of that with Tulsi. She just shifted. 
she shifted from going to far left communist conferences to CPAC. And there's no real explanation why. But the one thing that's been consistent, she's been shilling, she's been talking Russian talking points all that time. TrevorLoudon.com, pick up his book, White House Reds, and you have another one on uh, U.S. Senator security risks as well, right? Yeah, security risk senators, that's all of, also available. And a new series now, House Un-Americans, about the congressman is profiling about 100 U.S. Congress members and their very, very troubling connections, all available on TrevorLoudon.com. Signed copies, hard copies, yep. There they are, trevorloudon.com, trevorloudon.com. You can pick those books up right there on his website, trevorloudon.com. As always, Trevor, thank you. It's always a pleasure, Brandon. It's uh, good to get the truth out there, isn't it? It is, absolutely. That's our job, isn't it? And it sure is, and you do it well. So thank you, sir. Well, with great guests like you. Thank you, Trevor. Trevor Loudon checking in. Check out his site, trevorloudon.com. All right. We have big breaking news tonight. Have you heard the big breaking news? A clip, here it is, breaking news related to Sylvester Stallone. Listen. After long, hard consideration, your mother and I have decided it's time to move on and leave the state of California permanently, and we're going to go to Florida. We're gonna sell this house. What? What? Yep. Is this a joke? It's not a joke at all. Here. Full-time. No L.A. time. Full-time. We already have the place. It's a done deal. Wow. Sylvester Stallone is leaving L.A. according to his family's reality show. I don't think this is a joke. I think, uh, I think he's actually leaving. And could you blame him for the, uh, all the craziness that goes on out there in California? So, so, again, he seems to be getting ready to pack his bags. And, and they've already got a place in Florida. They've already got a place. He mentioned it. He said, we've already got a place. So, wow, isn't that interesting? Hmm. Good move, I think. Uh, By the way, here we go. What's going on in New York? Something that even CBS is reporting. Listen and watch. There are questions tonight about a controversial program launched by the Adams administration to give migrant families prepaid debit cards to buy food and other things they need. CBS 2's political reporter Marsha Kramer is here to sort it all out. Marsha. Well, Dick and Dana, Mayor Adams says giving asylum seekers debit cards to buy their own food will save the city millions. But the head of the city council's oversight and investigations committee wants to know why the city issued a $53 million no-bid contract without seeing if it could get a better deal. I think you should bid it out to see who would do the best job at the best cost for taxpayers. Councilmember Gail Brewer says she wants to investigate a pilot program launched by Mayor Adams to give asylum seekers prepaid debit cards that will allow them to buy food, baby products, and other necessities at supermarkets, bodegas, groceries, and convenience stores. The $53 million contract reviewed by CBS2 gives the firm Mobility Capital Finance lots of fees for services, including a $125,000 one-time setup fee, $250,000 in annual management fees, and fees based on how much money is distributed to migrants, $1.5 million for the first $50 million handed out, $2.5 million for the next $100 million. The pilot program will involve 500 families staying in short-term hotels like the Roe and 
Linda Watson. According to the contract, the most a card can have is $10,000, but most cards will be refilled every four weeks. A family of four can get about $1,000, $35 a day, and they can buy whatever food they want to eat. I don't know exactly um, how it's going to work. In other words, I do say from the release that it would be for diapers and baby products and food. But, you know, you have to be careful that that's what it's actually going to be for. Mayor Adams insists it's an innovative way to save money and prevent food waste because many asylum seekers don't eat the food they were given in the hotels and shelters. He said if the pilot program is successful... It is going to save us in the area of $7.2 million a year. <laughs> I'll tell you how to save the money. Round them up and throw them out. This is ridiculous. But this is, of course, the Cloward Piven strategy. Isn't this the guy that was complaining not too long ago? I mean, New York City, uh, uh, isn't that a sanctuary city? Uh, but you think that's not going to draw more migrants to your town? Yeah, let's give them $10,000 on debit cards and keep refilling them. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, and then again, isn't this also the city through the Cloward Pippen strategy that just about collapsed years ago? Well, um, wow. All right, here's another video. This is actually from CPAC the president of El Salvador. Listen to what he has to say. I think this was today. Thank you for the kind invitation to have me here at CPAC. It is truly an honor to be here just a few days after our presidential and legislative elections. Which, by the way, they pulverized the opposition. They say, they say globalism comes to die at CPAC. I'm here to tell you that in El Salvador, it's already dead. But if you want globalism to die here too, you must be willing to unapologetically fight against everything and everyone that stands for it. Fight for your freedoms. Fight for your rights. The next president of the United States must not only win an election, he must have the vision, the will, and the courage to do whatever it takes. And above all, he must be able to identify the underlying forces that will conspire him, that will conspire against him. These dark forces are already taking over your country. You may not see it yet, but it's already happening. You don't see it as clearly because people are designed to see linear changes, not exponential ones. We don't always recognize how fast a problem can multiply and spiral out of control. The problem is much like the metaphor of the boiling frog. Once the water boils, it's already too late. People fail to see these things. It's our nature. Just like the frog, people become complacent and they don't realize how bad things are getting until it's too late. Wow, did you ever think you'd hear the president of El Salvador coming to America to warn us about socialism and being asleep and boiling eventually in tyranny? Joining me now is journalist Leo Holman. Leo, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Good to be here. 
what do you make of these clips? Let's let's go back. Let's start with the uh, yeah. One. I think you know the one I just heard before we move yep, on. Yep, yep. I think uh, the president of El Salvador was very astute there to put the emphasis on globalism the way he did. I I think part of the uh, the deception that a lot of Americans fall prey to is this left right paradigm, and we're always talking about the left and the socialists yes. and the communists and you know the we have a lot of globalists uh in the republican party and this is why we have trouble getting things done in congress when the republicans take control and sometimes we even have control of the white house and both houses of congress but who is it uh when that was the case uh in 2016 20 uh 2017 and 2018 the first couple of years of president trump's uh, tenure in that first term, who was it that always disrupted his his uh, anti-globalist agenda? Who was it who always failed to come to the table when he needed the votes to pass money to get a wall built? It was, of course, the Democrats, but it was also a, a large chunk of the Republican Party, people that are often referred to as the right in the mainstream media. Uh, so both the left and the right have their globalist problems. And I think he was very astute there to pinpoint that. Well, absolutely. All right, let's go to another story tonight. I wanted to bring you on to talk about it because you're a veteran journalist. You were uh, the editor in a newsroom for, what, 20 years? Absolutely. Reporter and editor for 28 years. Tell me, tell me uh, what you make of this story, New York Post tonight. CBS seizes confidential files of fired reporter pursuing Hunter Biden laptop story, an unprecedented move, according to sources. Of course, that reporter is indeed Catherine, Catherine Heritage, who, by the way, also is the one uh, right in the new year was warning about her concerns of a black swan event of some kind uh, and that there may not be an election uh, with a black swan event in 2024 something to that effect. You remember that. And now all of a sudden we uh, hear that she was cracking down on facts related to the Biden family and Biden laptop. And voila, she finds herself fired and her CBS files are confidential files are taken by CBS, according to the New York Post. What do you make of this? I mean, I guess it shows us that huh, much of the mainstream corporate media is really just the, uh, I think, the puppets of the deep state, i.e. CIA. What say you? Yeah, this is this is very unprecedented, uh, Brandon. The, the traditional common policy when a reporter or an editor leaves a uh, newspaper or in this case a television news outlet is you take your personal notes and sources with you. You don't leave them at the door. Uh, whenever I moved from one job to another, uh, I always took my source material with me. Uh, it, it was not confiscated by the newspaper. And so this is what they're trying to do. Now, I was reading tonight that uh, CBS News is trying to back off of this policy and say that, oh, no, no, we're not planning to do that. But uh, even the union that represents the on-air talent in the television industry is saying that, yes, this is what they either did or were planning to do. Uh, and so the union is trying to intervene now on Catherine Heritage's uh, behalf and get these files, get these, get this source material uh, back where it belongs, which is in her possession. 
And uh, Brandon, this comes at a very interesting time because we also see the trial of Julian Assange going on in Great Britain. Mm. Uh, and this is the exact same thing that uh, the U.S. government is uh, trying to prosecute him for. He legally came into possession of documentation of U.S. actions that uh, were not very flattering in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and this was information he did not steal. It was passed on to him. This is how journalists work. They depend on people in the government and other type of sources, contractors, government uh, employees, to pass information on to them. Uh, often it's done confidentially. Uh, and and, and in, in response to that, the U.S. government wants him extradited, Assange, uh, from the U.K. to the United States, where they're going to prosecute him for espionage. There's a lot of misinformation that's been put out about this case. People say, oh, Assange is a traitor. He needs to be arrested and put in prison for life. Well, guess what? Mr. Assange is not a citizen of the United States. He is a citizen of Australia. So think about what this means. The U.S. government is claiming for itself the right to pluck journalists from other countries anywhere around the world and, 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 and bring them up on charges of espionage simply because they came into possession of documents that embarrassed the U.S. government and reported it as any good journalist should. Uh, so this is a, another case to watch, along with the uh, one with Catherine Heritage at the, uh, I'm saying Heritage, you got me pronouncing it Heritage, Brand. It's actually Heritage, Catherine Heritage uh, at CBS News. I'm these a, are two. I'm a bad influence on you, Leo. These are two important First Amendment cases. Uh, yes, they are. Thank you for correcting me on this, on the pronunciation. There. I did it myself. It's easy to say that way. It is. Yeah. It is. All right. Uh, let's go to another story related to freedom of speech and the free press. Stephen Miller, I think he was a speechwriter or worked at, in some capacity for President Trump. Uh, he tweeted out, Florida is on the verge of passing a new law to dramatically lower the legal standard for defamation. This after leftist judges and juries have been imposing one insane vengeful verdict after another against innocent conservatives. At the moment, there is no parallel ecosystem on the right. There is no Florida equivalent on the right of a New York City jury on the left. A jury of conservatives will bend over backwards to reach a, quote, fair, end quote, conclusion. If Florida passes the proposed law to lower the standard for defamation, expect leftist plaintiffs' lawyers to spend the next generation bankrupting every prominent conservative based in Florida. If you want to go after corporate media, then pass a law narrowly tailored at them. This law will mean conservative influencers, podcasters, and alternative media companies based in Florida are going to get wrecked solely because they're conservative. And I mean wrecked. Reject this law before it's too late. And there's a New York Post article, Florida must abandon its anti-free speech proposal liable lawsuit. There's also something tonight at another website, The Revolver, on this. I've got it linked up over at worldviewreport.com, your daily aggregated news site, Worldview Report. Dot com, which is also the name of my nightly newscast. Uh, that's my uh, producer sitting right there. Uh, Leo, what do you make of this? 
It's ridiculous, Brandon. I mean, the law in America has traditionally been that if you are a public official, uh, it, it's much harder to, to defame a public official uh, under U.S. law and Supreme Court precedent. Uh, you not have to only prove that somebody said something that was false, but you have to prove that they knew it was false and they recklessly published it anyway. Uh, that is the higher standard that is applied to public officials because uh, the founding fathers agreed that people who were in public office uh, put themselves out there uh, and we should be able to criticize them, right? Uh, and people don't always get things right. They always, don't always have their facts in order. Uh, and so, you know, this would have a chilling effect, right, on free speech if we had to make sure that every single uh, I was dotted and every T crossed before somebody, you know, writes a blog or somebody says something in an interview like this, misspeaks perhaps even, uh, they could be sued uh, for defamation of, and even against a public official, a celebrity, or a, a, a especially government officials, Brandon, uh, should be held to a higher standard. Indeed. All right. One other story here real quick. A Colorado representative is uh, stating something I'm not sure we would ever think those of us raised in, uh, you know, in our age bracket and, of course, older, would ever think we would see as being a controversial issue, uh, regardless of political party or affiliation. Listen to what this state representative is warning going on in the state of Colorado. Another state, by the way, that I would flee and flee from fast, mm. because after all, they would they do, they Californiaed Colorado. These are the times that I am discouraged about my job as a representative and also just what happens here at the Capitol. We sat in a committee all day discussing whether or not somebody that buys little children, these are two, three, four, five-year-old kids, and they buy them for sex, that we tried to get a bill through, Representative Bradley sent one through, that was gonna put these buyers in jail. Right now, most of the time, they get off on probation, almost all the time, they get off on probation after buying a child and raping a little child. And we tried to say, well, they need to at least serve a minimum of four years. And then we sat and listened to the Democrats fight against this bill, fight against putting these people in jail, and came up with all kinds of reasons, including that these buyers are victims themselves. This is very discouraging, and it's also very disgusting for me that they would actually defend this. And then they voted completely along party lines. The Democrats voted 100% that they did not want to put these pedophiles in jail. They defended the pedophiles. This is why it's so difficult sometimes to do what we do around here. We know we're on the side of right. We know we're on the side of morality. And we get shot down by, I do not understand the thought process behind this but we do get shot down. This is why I would encourage you to do a few things to help us with this. First, if you believe in prayer at all, please pray. We are fighting truly dark forces here. This is not okay. This is evil stuff that we're dealing with. And if you have the ability to come up and testify on, on bills or anything like this, please do so. Your voice is very important to what we're trying to accomplish around here. We are the minority, but with you, we become a powerful force. Again, that is a state representative. His name is, uh, I think Scott Bottoms is his name. Let me double check. Um, yep, Scott Bottoms. He's a state representative. Can you believe that people are debating about 
what you should do to people that sell children and are buying children, one to five-year-olds, one to five-year-olds being bought for sex, and, and we have to debate about whether we should give them probation or not or jail time or not? No, I can't believe what I just heard, Brandon. You know, that they can't even get a three or four year jail term for a pedophile. I mean, what kind of country has this become that, like you said, this even has to be debated? Uh, you know, but yet you can get 10 years or more, 22 years in some cases, uh, for taking part in the January 6th Capitol riot. I mean, come on, this is sick. This is a two-tier justice system that is out of control. Uh, lawlessness, Brandon. Total lawlessness. LeoHolman.com. LeoHolman.com. You'll find all his great writings there. But it's also LeoHolman.substack.com. LeoHolman.substack.com. You got it, Brandon. Thank you, Leo, for all your great work. Thank you. Leo Holman, associate producer with us and helps me produce the Worldview Report nightly newscast each and every night. Joining me now is Aaron, live from Israel. Uh, I sent him something earlier this evening, and to my amazement, he sh he shot me back a text, and I'm like, what are you doing up so early? Uh, it's what, 4.24 in the morning, 4.24 a.m. Friday morning, Aaron? Yes, it is, Brandon. Um, and you were texting with me an hour ago. Uh, did you not sleep tonight? No, some nights I'm having trouble sleeping uh, along with tens of thousands of people. It's just part of what's going on, part of the the stress, part of the uh, uncertainty of the future. Um, and of course, I, I don't want to divulge into your family too much, but you have you have relatives that are in the IDF. So, I mean, I, I, I think part of what you're dealing with is not only being an Israeli, but a father, right? Yeah. Um, I have four children and uh, three of them are uh, in the IDF um, and I can't go uh, into too much more, but uh, it's it's very disturbing, very stressful, worrying, um, especially when you see on the news day after day, uh, practically day after day, parents burying their sons or daughters. Um, and you you know you you hear the stories you you it's just uh, this is war this is not just a conflict this is a war and um and we know that in every war uh there are uh, casualties and you you wonder you just constantly wonder is that going to be me next is that am i going to get a knock on the door it's it's a terrible reality to live in it's it's um and uh, probably to some degree or another, our whole nation are, are still traumatized by October the 7th. And um, just when you think you've heard uh, all the stories that can be heard, there are new stories. There are new um, uh, realities going on. And uh, and that that brings up that pain, that trauma again. Um, when we get some good news, like when we our our military rescued those two, two of the hostages uh, two weeks ago, uh, wow, what it did for the nation and for the morale and the it just it was like a, a an injection in the arm 
uh, to boost uh, us up. We need that. We need encouragement. We need good news. We need uh, anything uh, uh, great. This is a like our leaders are saying, that's not a short little war. This is going to take months. And uh, I just was in the supermarket yesterday and I bumped into a friend of mine. He's a tour guide. I said, what are you doing in this uh, neighborhood? He, he said, we live on the northern border. And of course, we've been uprooted like uh, about 100,000. We were living in a hotel in Tel Aviv. But we couldn't stand it. We all the other families, it was just too stressful for us as a family with our little kids. We have three little children. We asked the government if we could move to another place. So uh, they got that granted and they've, they've moved here. But he also he's gone beside himself. Uh, you know, a lot of men have lost their their work and uh, they've got all this time sitting around doing nothing that alone is extremely stressful, not just the financial stress, but, uh, you know, you, you, you go from being a, a certain identity as a worker in this field or that field, and then all of a sudden overnight, you're, it's almost like being laid off, being made redundant, and it's like you've got to find yourself in a new way um, and it's just, it's very, very, very difficult. Well, indeed, many, you, you have found yourself in a new way as a reporter and a journalist and a broadcaster for us with us being able to open up a, a broadcast uh, outlet in Israel, thanks to you. So thank you for finding your way. Well, thank you. Albeit uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know, I know. Make me feel really bad. We'll pray. We'll have our audience praying that you can sleep through the night, okay? Because I wasn't going to, I don't invite you on a lot of times at night, but, you know, I was not expecting to hear from you when I sent you what I did. I, you know, he'll see that when he gets up. But boy, you shot me back a text. That was an hour ago. Look at this headline. Uh, we have Rebecca Walzer still coming up tonight. New York Times journalist who infiltrated Israel with Hamas on October 7th wins a prestigious award. Are you kidding me? Well, here's what it says. A photojournalist for the New York Times who allegedly infiltrated into Israel on October 7th was awarded a prestigious Polk Award for delving into every angle of the conflict with unflinching eyes, end quote. However, host reporting points out the suspicious timing of the journalist Yusuf Mossad's arrival during Hamas's invasion. Mossad was given the Polk Award for photojournalism, along with journalist Samar Abu Halaf, that he was on the scene so early because he awakened at 5.30 by the sound of rockets. However, Hamas didn't start firing missiles into Israel until an hour later at 6.30. All right, so I guess you get awards now for riding along and filming rapes, gang rapes, uh, cutting off body parts, burning alive. And, of course, I guess he probably didn't give out any warning in advance or step in to help. I mean, this is disgusting. Yeah, by the way, Brandon, I'm pretty sure uh, reporters like this, a number of the families who lived in those areas on the kibbutz, uh, on the uh, border of Gaza, mm -hmm. they are suing a number of these journalists well, good. for doing that. Yeah. So that's disturbing. All right. Now let's go to this report here. This is uh, ABC News Australia. Whoops. Sorry, I hit the wrong button. This is ABC News Australia. Oh, I want to get your response because you guys are back in the courts again. You're back in uh, the UN's top court defending yourself. I want to get your response to this report from, again, a news outlet in Australia. Watch and listen, please. 
The International Court of Justice has been asked by the UN's General Assembly to provide advice on whether Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories is illegal, with a particular focus on the West Bank and East Jerusalem, which Israel's occupied since 1967. More than 50 countries are giving evidence in hearings before the World Court, and the United States is one of the few countries supporting Israel. It's defended the military occupation, arguing that Israel faces very very real security needs, also urging the World Court not to call for Israel to immediately withdraw from the Palestinian territories. Under the established framework, any movement towards Israel's withdrawal from the West Bank and Gaza requires consideration of Israel's very real security needs. We were all reminded of those security needs on October 7, and they persist. Regrettably, those needs have been ignored by many of the participants in asserting how the court should consider the questions before it. Instead, the US argues that only the establishment of an independent Palestinian state alongside Israel can lead to long-lasting peace. But that prospect seems more elusive than ever. Today, the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, has given overwhelming support opposing the declaration of a Palestinian state. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying it's a message to the international community, including the United States, that it won't be pressured into making a long-term peace deal. So a good with, for Benjamin Netanyahu. There's never been a Palestinian state. There should never be a Palestinian state. Egypt doesn't even want these people from Gaza that call themselves Palestinians, even though, as we've already said a million times, long before October 7th, and again a gazillion times since, that was a name given by a Roman emperor to the people there, the arch enemies of the, uh, of the Jews, the Philistines. And that is now what's been brought up. And they're called the, the Palestinians or the uh, uh, Philistines, if you will, depending on how you pronounce it there in the Middle East. You can see hear the Philistine side in it a little more with the way it's pronounced in the Middle East versus how we pronounce it here in America. But these people are not from there. Their DNA is not from there. That people don't e those people don't even exist anymore. They don't have a currency. They don't have a capital. They don't have a state. They've never had one. This is a made-up group of people, largely thanks to people like Yasser Arafat and the corrupt media, correct? Correct, Brennan. And listen, the, the, the issue is not a Palestinian state. You know what the real issue is? A Jewish state. Right. They want to, for them, they want the elimination of Israel all together. And by the way, speaking of that, I didn't know if it's real or not. But someone had on uh, the news tonight from the river to the sea that that was showing up on the Big Ben in, in London. Yeah, it, yeah. Is that real? It. Is that real? It's real. That is real. Th this, is, this is called cancel culture. They want to cancel Israel. And yet and London, some, some Zionist in London, Zionist in Great Britain, helped to form Israel as we know it today. Yes, absolutely. Balfour, the Balfour Declaration. Exactly. This is, in fact, by the way, someone pointed out uh, Prince William. Oh, yeah, he's rattling his mouth. It was in my news report tonight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you want to put a guy on the short list, I hate to say this because it sounds awful, but if you want to put a guy on the short list to watch, he's been on my short list for a while. I know a lot of people put his daddy on the short list, and uh, I, would, I wouldn't I would put the daddy on the short list. 
I would put oh. William on the short list if I was watching some individual. I have a few of them I put on there. Emmanuel Macron, William. If you're looking for a character to rise out of Europe to be a one-world leader and confirm a peace process between uh, you know the, the, the Arabs and the Israelis uh, and confirm a peace treaty, I think you guys all know what I'm saying, right? I would put William on the short list of that. Yeah. Well, he... he someone pointed out he obviously doesn't know his family history because it was his i believe it was king you're, ta you're talking about the nazi side of the family right marching around and giving the nazi salute and whatnot well that i did not know oh of you don't know side. about that no 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 mm. but i believe it was his either great uncle or a, a relative as one of the kings of england was actually uh, 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 positively towards the state the state of israel but the problem is as i said before the problem is not a palestinian state the problem is the israel state that the arabs rejected outrightly rejected the united nation resolution in 1947 and 48 claiming a state of israel they totally rejected the united nations vote so there were riots against the Jews going back to 1920s, 1929. There was the Hebron massacre. Uh, they've been offered statehood time and time and time again, and they have rejected it. Uh, so um, it's the the real issue is the state of Israel. You know, the Europe Europe cried out in the 1930s, "Get the Jews out of Europe, get them to Palestine." Now they're saying, "Get the Jews." out of Palestine. This is um, this is another final solution that we are facing the world around. I, I hope I don't sound like a poor Jew playing the violin to make everyone feel sorry for us. No, I'm not. But this is real. The, the Jewish people are uh, facing uh, anti-Semitism uh, at the same level of pre-Holocaust anti-Semitism. Indeed. Indeed. In fact, look at this headline because I went and looked it. Here we go. Eight years ago, Royals told open archives on family ties to Nazi regime. Historian urges that secret correspondence be made public to reveal the truth about the Queen's Nazi salute footage released. And I think this is something that was when she was uh, six or seven years old. And again, I think there was someone, somebody else going around in the family that, of course, it's not, I'm not going to blame that on Queen Elizabeth, who became Queen Elizabeth. When she was six or seven, I think she was just mocking somebody else. But the royal family, there are, according to the National Archives, there are vo volumes of letters between members of the royal family and Nazi politicians and aristocrats. And, uh, I mean, people could go and look up some of the connections between the royal family and uh, some of the Nazis. So, again, I would, you would think that uh, Prince William would be very, very careful about what he's saying. Uh, particularly, again, a guy that goes around with all that security uh, and he's um, uh, telling uh, you guys you need to end the war. Really? Really? Because if you end the war now, you're going to have another October 7th event. You're probably going to have one yeah. anyway uh, when we finally yeah. you know, move our conversation here now to what's happening with Lebanon and Hezbollah. And, of course, the, uh, what, half a million Jews you have in Judea and Samaria, known as the West yeah. Bank. And of course, I'm very worried about those half million Jews sitting in there because I don't know. I, I'm very concerned with what they're surrounded by and if they could be the victims of an October 7th style attack. Yeah, well, even just to uh, not today, yesterday, Brandon, your time today, your time, just today, your time. 
in a city called Maaladomim, where I lived for 10 years. Maaladomim, which is the largest city in Judea and Samaria. Just today, there were a, a line of cars waiting at an intersection. And there's actually footage that I've seen. A Palestinian terrorist with a Kalishmakov machine gun gets out and starts shooting at these uh, people sitting in their cars waiting for uh, things to move. So that is reminiscent of October 7, because I don't know if you've heard or the viewers have heard, know this, but what another strategy that these uh, Hamasnikim did on October the 7th, you know what they did? They set up fake checkpoints so that when cars got to uh, checkpoints, the terrorists were waiting and they went and they just shot up and murdered all these Israelis sitting at checkpoints in their cars. Easy meat, easy targets. Yeah, I saw and, that. Uh, I saw that. And again, people in America, you better be aware because I believe we're going to see that kind of thing in America. And I have often thought after we saw what happened in Israel, any terrorists in America that want to take advantage of the rush hour in our major American cities, those people would be sitting ducks in that yes. traffic of Los Angeles, the northern suburbs of Washington, D.C., and other major cities. These people will be sitting ducks, and they did this in Israel. Now, they, they didn't even have the traffic jams to, to help them uh, on October 7th, as is the case for many of our major American cities. But people better watch that very cl closely. Look, another headline. This is from the CBC. Uh, historians believe the Duke of Windsor actively collaborated with Nazis during the Second World War. The late Duke of Windsor is perhaps known for abdicating the throne in 36, less than a year after being crowned King Edward VII to marry American divorcee Wallace Simpson. But what happened afterwards is what, where the true scandal lies. Experts unearthed documents that suggest the Duke's dealings with the Nazis during the Second World War were extensive. So again, I think the royal family might want to double-check history as well as their own past and shut their mouths when it comes to saying anything about Israel. Uh, let's see, what else do we have tonight? Anything else before we let you go? Uh, Can I just say one yes, thing, Brandon? Yes, yes. I just read uh, just yesterday, China. China have now said publicly, I think, I think it was either the foreign minister or, or a, a government official from China have said that Israel is occupying the land and that the Palestinians have every right to actively, militarily rise up in resistance mm. against Israel. Well, guess who I'm interviewing tomorrow? Really? Alan Dershowitz? Yep. Wow, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm interviewing him tomorrow on that, on that book that I'm reading right now. Look at this headline. Biden to propose anti-Israel pro-Hamas resolution to UN Security Council to force temporary ceasefire on Israel, halt Rafa offensive, uh, according to Fox News and to uh, this organization here. Tell me about Brandon, this before I let that, you go. That was, that was what you sent me yes. as an email. And I, and I just want to say, I don't want to be woken up to that kind of news, please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, would, I hope I, I was. I hope it wasn't my email that woke you up. I well, no. I usually check my email as one of the first things, and I, I thought I was having a nightmare, not a dream. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. What shocked me more than anything is just three days ago. It was the United States 
that vetoed the United Nations vote that was saying we are occupying and to stop uh, to stop this Rafa incursion that we're planning on. And now they're they're changing. Uh, they they are pushing for this uh, resolution. So my when I I wrote to you, Brandon, saying for me, if this is totally accurate. For me, this is a clear political uh, strategy from the Biden uh, administration. They know that Bibi Netanyahu and our government, they are not going to back down now. They know that. They're not stupid. And so to appease their voters, to appease the Muslims, to appease people in their national security advisory teams who are pro-Palestinian, they've obviously come out and said this and are doing this. And I believe it's a, and I'm going to call it out, I don't like doing that, but it's a betrayal. This is a total betrayal of Israel. May God have mercy on Joe Biden and on the United States. Wow, indeed. All right, uh, Aaron Lavarco, lighttothenationsministry.com, lighttothenationsministry.com. My friend, I know it's going on not even quarter to 5 a.m. Friday morning, Israel time, but Please try to go lay down and get a few uh, winks there. And we will invite our audience to pray for you, that you get a little bit of sleep and to pray for the security protection of not only your three IDF, but of the entire nation. Thank you, Brandon. God bless America and God bless Israel. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. And folks, uh, when I get off the uh, television tonight, I've got to send a quick little uh, um, uh, donation to him. And we do that every now and then. We send him a a little donation to help him along the way uh, because he is supposed to be a full-time tour guide, folks, but uh, that's not happening now. And so we went to him and said, hey, come work with us uh, and Workman's worthy of his hire. And here he is at, uh, you know, up at uh, 4.30, 4.15 in the morning, 4.20 talking to us, now going on 4.45 Israel time Friday morning. So again, when you go to wvwfoundation.com, when you go to WVW, you can put that up there, guys. When you go to wvwfoundation.com, it helps us do many things, including push out free programming to you. When this show goes off the air, it'll be taken by segment and put online at worldviewtube.com for you to watch and share with friends. But it also helps us have a reporter in London, have our reporter Aaron there now in Israel and giving, buying him a computer and camera and different things he needs to get the quality of picture and audio we need. So folks, please support our foundation so we can support people like Aaron who are working on our behalf, you and me, the listener and the viewer and the host, wvwfoundation.com, wvwfoundation.com. Please don't delay. Why don't you do that right now before you get busy and forget? We're looking for more contributors, even monthly contributors, $5, $10 a month, WVW foundation.com. Thank you very much. Joining me now is Rebecca Walzer. It's been about two weeks since she's been with us. She's back, and I want to talk to her about some very pertinent issues that are going to impact, I'm afraid, all of us. Rebecca, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Brent. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, Rebecca, thank you for making time. Okay, so I am hearing more and more about the fact that maybe, I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but that this funding, this federal funding, that this quantitative easing, liquidity injections into banks that has you know some fancy name and an acronym everybody uses, uh, that that could be cut off again on March 11th. And I'm hearing that that might indeed happen, which might bring us a whole new round of uh, regional bank failures. Do you have an update on that? 
Well, I don't have an update specifically on BTFP because the official line is that it does end on March the 10th. What I can tell you is, and I don't normally like to quote uh, people that are that are in the industry, but I do want to read, if you will let me, yeah. Brandon, because it goes with everything that you're talking about right now. And this is a Grant Cardone uh, X tweet. I don't even know what you call it anymore if you don't call it a tweet, but it's on X. He posted this on 220, so this is just a few days ago. And I and, and I, I want people to understand what the implications are for this Donald Trump verdict of 355 million civil fraud out of, or criminal fraud, I guess I should say, out of uh, New York. And we have here, he says, real estate projects in Illinois, New York, New Jersey, and California now carry too much headline risk for pension funds, lenders, and public REITs. REITs are real estate investment trusts. This will result in an accelerated decline in property values, escalating an increase in loan defaults. This could roll over to regional banks, which regional banks are the ones that hold most of these loans, and worsen pension funds who've invested heavily in these projects. The Trump ruling of $355 million is precedent threat or precedent threat to all real estate investors, homeowners, banks, pension funds in the United States of America. What I'm trying to say is, you know, when you had Evergrande go into forced liquidation in Hong Kong, because that's the CCP, the Communist Chinese Party, and they don't have to follow the rule of law. They are literally just, oh, hedge funds, eh, nothing. Like, in other words, if you think you're a bondholder, you have some kind of residual, tangible, legal claim to properties that are going into liquidation, the CCP can just tell you, eh, you're not getting it. We write it in the rules. We don't have to follow the rule of law. We're China, okay? That doesn't happen in the United States until now, until now. And what Grant is saying is that with this ruling, when there was absolutely no actual uh, um, crime, there's no crime. There was no damages. And and even uh, Kevin O'Leary, yes. Shark Tank, everyone yes. calls him Mr. Wonderful. He has gone and done the entire media circuit saying, and it's sad. It's so sad that people that are just regular people, and, and certainly maybe on the progressive side, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But you've got people that the whole world respects and they have to come out and say listen i'm not supporting trump i'm just telling you the facts the united states of america cannot accept a ruling like this and maintain the rule of law and maintain the hedge funds the pension funds and the institutional investment in real estate projects when there is a judgment like this when there has been zero actual people that have lost that no banks lost money on these loans that he was sued over they basically just said he fraudulently reported his net asset values or what we call navs on his real estate but that is subject to interpretation you know real estate appraisals are always subject to interpretation and that's why banks have underwriting and they have their own appraisers and they do their own due diligence and then they decide so I bring all of that up to say that this extra layer that we're now putting on top of the
what we call CRE crisis, the commercial real estate crisis in this country. It's $2.7 trillion of commercial real estate, of which over $800 billion has to get refinanced this year through regional banks. And you've got two problems with that. Number one, the asset value has come down since they originally financed it because of the fact that we've had urban blight and we've had people going to hybrid work schedules. So there is no way that the demand for real estate was as high as it was when they originally got these loans. And then part two, when they go to refinance it, it's not worth 80, you know, 20, it's worth 20% less, but now they have to finance it at a 10 plus X cost of capital that they didn't have to finance it with when the federal funds rate was 25 basis points, when now it's 525 basis points. So we have a double whammy hitting the regional banks this year because of commercial real estate. And then when you add in on top of that, that real estate developers can be sued and held and be found liable for hundreds of millions of dollars, even if no bank lost a penny, you've got massive institutional investors saying, we can't leverage these commercial uh, projects anymore. We have to find something else. And if they divest when they're, we're in the middle of this crisis, it could be the end. It could, it could be very quickly the end of the system as we know it. I absolutely agree with that. And you add in already, as you're already saying, a weak commercial real estate market, which many are already saying is going to pull down some of these regional banks. And now you add this news on top of it, right? Absolutely. And the other thing that people are understanding, Brennan, is that the risk is not relegated specifically and only, it's not contained within the regional banks. And the reason is because last year, the Federal Reserve charged all of our large big four and the big four just so that your audience is clearly aware and i am just going to call out names our largest u.s bank is jp morgan chase we know this then we have citibank bank of america and wells fargo those are our big four and last year all of those banks took very large reserves for losses because the federal reserve let them know that the fdic insurance fund is woefully underfunded if you pull the balance sheet which is public record from 2023 and look at the amount of assets that the fdic has on its balance sheet it wasn't even enough to cover the three bank failures that we had and remember we had three of our four largest bank failures occur last spring the only bank failure that has ever been larger in the history of america was washington mutual in 2008 and that was the whole subprime lending crisis they were one of the largest BC, we call we, what we call BC paper or subprime lenders originators that there was. And of course, they operated a banking institution at the same time, and that took them under. So WAMU, uh, you know, was the largest bank failure we've ever had. That was 2008. And now you had three of the four uh, last year, and now you combine. So in other words, what I'm trying to say, Brandon, is these large banks it is not going to be safe. How many people, how many times have we talked last year where people were leaving the regional banks and going to the big banks because they thought this commercial real estate was relegated to the regional banks? And the Federal Reserve is saying, not so fast, big banks, because FDIC is so severely underfunded, you guys are going to help us fix this problem, you guys are going to have to reserve as well for bank failures. Now, the Federal Reserve has put in writing in writing so first thing that they did last time last FOMC meeting is they said they took out the entire statement about banks being safe and our banking system being 
solvent and secure. That entire section was removed, and because it was removal, it was not really an announcement, but the people that are in the know that read these things, we know, we said it. And then the other thing they did is they actually put in writing that there will be casualties of banks in 2024, that they are expecting bank failures, and that the American public should also be expecting bank failures because they're not blaming the rate hikes. They're simply saying that it's a shift of the American populace away from working five days a week. And because of that, the NAVs have come down, the net asset values have come down on real estate. And therefore, they, that these regional banks cannot take all of the hit. So there will be additional bank failures in 2024. And that is in writing. And where can we find that? Um, I would have to, I can get you the document. I'll send you the document so you can have it and you can put it up, upload it to the, uh, the show. Yeah, I'd love to show that on the screen. Absolutely. Well, take, take a look at this headline tonight. Bezoff wraps up $50 million Amazon stock sale netting $8.5 billion. Do you, are, are, I mean, is this a signal? Some of these guys are concerned about the stock market? You know, it's really sad because I got to tell you, you know, I'm so frustrated right now with my job. I am so frustrated, Brandon, because it's like, it's like being in a sea with a tsunami staring at you in the face and you feel like you're the only one on the beach that can see it, yet there's millions of people all around you looking at the exact same thing. You know, what I hear all the time now is, well, the stock, like for example, today, today on February 22nd, we had the largest single day stock value market capitalization market cap increase in the history of America. Meta had the title before. After NVIDIA's results reported today, their stock went up 16% after the, I mean, this is insanity. Now, what people will say uh, is- By the way, I saw that because I have a, I have a friend, I have a friend that, that has it and was trying to tell me that I missed out. I'm like, I don't do stocks, but good for you. Well, I will say that the a lot of people believe that it will go to 950. So you didn't miss out yet, but who wants to buy into a $600 plus stock? But I will tell you, I will tell you the NVIDIA, uh, what we call the CAGR, the compound annual growth uh, rate uh, expected in the AI division is basically over 60% for the foreseeable runway. But it's because they, they have the first mover advantage and they're going to have it for years, even though Intel is trying to do a, um, AI chips with Microsoft and you have AMD trying to move this. I'm telling you that the first mover advantage is going to stay there for years. However, here's the thing. Here's the thing that people don't understand. They tell me all the time, Rebecca, you don't know what you're talking about because the stock market's at all time highs. Look at the NASDAQ. Look at, you know, all of them, the Dow, the S&P. And the, this is exactly the time to be very afraid. And here's the proof, okay? The United Kingdom just had an all-time high on the FS, FTSE, right? Guess what? They're in recession. The bank of Japan has announced officially a recession in Japan. They were going to bring, start raising rates from negative deposit. They canceled that. Guess what? Just this past month, Japan had the largest stock market top ever in 34 years. And they're in a recession. So I want people to understand that there is something when you get to the end of a system, we call it a doom loop. Okay, and it's like it's total irrational exuberance going back to Alan Greenspan from the dot com bus. It is people thinking, you know what, eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. 
We are in this irrational exuberance doom loop of everything is going to be fine because the stock market is high and the fundamentals economically are just not there. Well, and this is why she is not your average financial planner, folks. Walzerwealth.com. Walzerwealth.com. Didn't you miss out, folks? I mean, it was two weeks since we heard from her. And of course... <laughs> We, we still haven't even covered everything that happened in that two weeks, so we'll have to get her back again next week. But in the meantime, WalzerWealth.com, WalzerWealth.com for more information about her firm and how she helps people prepare for what she's talking about. Thank you, as always, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And to talk about re preparing, folks, did you see this headline today? Cyber attack downs pharmacies across America. Now, let's see. Who has been telling you for months and months, stock up on critical meds in case you can't get them from the pharmacy? <laughs> yeah, that's why I have one of these for every one of my family members. This is the wellness company, Dr. Peter Thorpe, excuse me, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe. This is eight different meds in here, ivermectin, amoxicillin, and others. You should get one for every family member and then hold it as an emergency. Okay, because looky there again, cyber attack downs pharmacy across pharmacies across America. And folks, I don't think we've seen anything yet compared to what's coming. TWC.health forward slash Brandon. TWC.health forward slash Brandon. And then I take this twice a day. Amoxis amoxicillin. This is uh what is it called? Help me out here. Bella Grace, thank you. It's been a long day. I'm so tired. Bella Grace, it has in it. Do I dare even try telling them what's in it tonight, right now? Collagen, cat's claw, and astroxanthin. I take it twice a day. Maybe I should, I should take it more than that. But go to melissahousebg.com to find out more. melissahousebg.com. And then superfoodshouse.com. Superfoodshouse.com. All natural, organic, not sprayed. Check them out. Thanks for watching. May God save America. Take care.